My name is Linda Williams, and this is Reality Skimming. Welcome to Reality Skimming. This installment of the Yoclorel saga begins with Chapter 5, Field Research. We've seen Anne meet Beauty, but we haven't seen much of Renar, the anthropologist, the headspace intellectual region who was driven to get to visit Gilax. And this is Renar now waking up. He has been affected badly by the space flight, reality skimming space flight, and he has then been given a drug to help him with that called uh, Clinaman. It's a Sevalite Gilax side of the fence uh, product. And he, so he's been pretty wiped out. And this is called field research. Renard regained his mind in slow stages. First he heard things, but the sounds had no context. The next time he came around, he recognized the sounds as voices, interspersed with the slap of cards. He had no ambition to learn more. His body finally roused him with its determination to throw up. There was nothing in his stomach except bile, but he would have choked all the same if the card players hadn't lent a hand. They made disgusted noises as they stripped him out of his flight suit, their hands rough and marked with scars. They were all Caucasians, pale-skinned, without epicanthal folds or other markers of meld origins. He knew the racial tip ought to be significant, but wasn't sure why. A man with a familiar, darker face was thrust forward, mouth curling at the job of cleaning up. Renard put a name to the familiar face, his teeth chattering. Thomas? he asked. Next time someone asks you how you want to fly, said the weathered pilot, hauling a dripping cloth edged in embroidery out of a basin of perfumed water. Tell him cargo. Definitely cargo. Thomas had something to do with Gilax. Renard studied Gilax, but he also knew he had never met one, which did not seem reasonable. One of the card players yelled at them over his shoulder. I don't know your ugly language, you retrogressive wipehead. Thomas yelled back in Rishan and tried a string of words in the trader's pigeon he used back on Trinket Ring, to no avail. The Gilak threw a bundle at him. Thomas caught it and jerked free a blanket, spilling clothes. He used the blanket to cover Renard, then settled down to wipe Renard's face with the pleasant-smelling cloth. Sword-waving barbarians in head-wiping space, no less, Thomas grumbled. Can you process it? I can't. Renard's memory began clearing up. They had come to meet the modern liege of Monitum, but something had gone wrong. He just didn't know what. When he woke again, he felt perfectly clear-headed, if still weak. The air was cool. His room seemed to be part of a landing, screened off by an ornate wooden trellis in disrepair. It had a parquet floor, and was lighted overhead by a glowing globe set in a diamond chandelier. Faint domestic noises reached him from an open floor beyond. 
The building seemed to be an abandoned hangar in which the outlines of parked cars and service vehicles alternated with illuminated islands of furniture. Around the edges, where the light was faint, Renard could make out piles of dusty crates and, here and there, a gilded door. Turning his head the other way, Renard discovered an astonishing wall. The wall was half obscured by plastic racks, but he could make out painstakingly embroidered scenes flowing into each other in a cascade of stories about golden-haired people dressed in elaborate clothes, the women in skirts and the men wearing swords. The detail was mind-boggling, yet here it was, abandoned behind stock shelves, testament to a glorious past. Renard dozed off again, hoping to be strong enough the next time to ask questions. He was roused sometime later by a woman wearing a purple and white badge on her jacket. Peridar, she announced herself. Renard of Ryer, he offered. Perry was a short, dark-haired woman with a weathered aspect, contradicted by the life in her dark blue eyes. She wore a knife at her side, as if doing so was perfectly natural and her clothes were made of leather. She tried to explain herself in Gilak, repeating the word deander many times. Deander, Renard echoed. He wanted to know everything at once, but had to settle for knowing his brain was working properly once more. The details of how he got here were gone. Perry hauled him up with a grunt, and finding him unsteady, set a small but solid shoulder under his arm. Together they navigated the stairs down to the hangar floor and crossed into one of the pools of light around a furnished area. Thomas was already there, seated in an armchair. There was a couch, done in a matching floral pattern, and a laden sideboard. Four armed gilaks were waited on by an old man, a boy, and a woman, dressed in white and gold uniforms. A master attended by servants, Renard decided, with a mixture of excitement and abhorrence. Perry eased him down onto the couch and introduced the leader by pointing at him, as she stated, Prince de Ander, Liege of Goldenhearth. De Ander was a wide-shouldered, powerful-looking man with a lion's mane of golden hair and light blue eyes. His boldly handsome face, with its cleft chin and high forehead, was frothed in thick eyebrows and balanced by a square chin. He stood with a hand on the hilt of a dueling sword, inlaid with jewels. There was a second swordsman beside him, whose appearance echoed to Anders. Renard nicknamed him Dandy because he was immaculate, in contrast to de Ander, whose classy appearance was compromised by small symptoms of neglect. Dandy would have fit right in with the fairy tale figures on the embroidered wallpaper. The rest of the armed people looked more like Perry Dar, right down to the badge depicting purple hills against a white background. Guess you were right about Sevalite highborns, after all, Thomas said and hiccuped. He was jittery, his twitches in full force. Blondes, Renard mused, staring at the golden-haired princes. 
Yellow hair means they're Demish. Demish Sevalites had blue eyes and... I don't care about your monkey studies, Thomas exploded, startling Renard with his vehemence. They're maniacs, all of them. Volatile mood swings were a symptom of advancing spacer's syndrome. Before Renard could answer, Thomas sprang up and made as if to bolt. Dandy intercepted him and tossed him back into his chair like a rag doll, where he promptly curled up in a ball. The Ander, Renard's host, introduced himself with a big smile. Champion of the Golden Emperor of Demora and Liege of Golden Hearth on Fountain Court. Welcome to the planet Gillian at the hub of the Empire. A few of the words used were English, and Renard could guess the English cognates of some of the Gilak ones, but not enough. I am Renard of Ryer, Renard addressed him. Do you understand this language? English, De Anders said and nodded. Some. Speak many languages, but English only monotes now. Ah, Krell, he exclaimed in frustration, features reshaping heavily in a frown. Only House Monotum speaks English now. Yes. Is the construction better? Renard's ears pricked up. House Monotum? No Monotum? DeAnder asked. Renard realized what was odd about DeAnder's speech pattern. He seemed peculiarly loath to use pronouns. Yes, we know something about Monotum, said Renard. There was a woman called the Liege of Monotum, 200 years ago. She was always with Amaron. Ah, Amaron! DeAnder's face broke into a wide smile, as if Renard had named a much-loved acquaintance. Go to Greenhearth on Fountain Court. Talk to Daimon. Daimon is Liege Monotum now. Yes, Renard told DeAnder with enthusiasm. That is what we came for. But maybe tomorrow? Renard felt too tired to face anything so vital and envied Thomas, who was sleeping, if only fitfully, on the couch. De Ander wasn't finished with him, however. He wanted grammar lessons. In particular, he wanted Renard to explain English pronouns. Renard's effort to conjugate the verb to talk in every tense his tired brain could muster pleased De Ander well enough. But the big blonde kept demanding more details. I talk to you, you talk to me, DeAnder prompted. Yes? Up or down? By how much? Renard countered by getting DeAnder to tell him what the Gilak pronoun for I would be in the construction he wanted, and was asked for more information. Who was speaking to whom? Up or down? And what were their birth ranks? Saying I in Gilak clearly wasn't trivial. They had been abandoned by everyone except Thomas and the servants by the time Renard succeeded in conveying he could not continue. De Ander apologized, still avoiding pronouns, and gave orders in Gilak that sent the servant boy scurrying into the dark. Thomas had subsided into an unhealthy doze during the grammar lesson. Now it was over, De Anders snatched him out of his chair and held him up. Paul, he asked Renard, 
using the grammatical term for the inferior case in Gilak. Very much awake now, Thomas flailed at the big Gilak and was dumped on the couch beside Renard, who prevented the pilot going after to Ander when the Gilak walked off. We could take them all out with one laser, Thomas muttered, hands trembling where they gripped Renard. I could cannibalize your mission box for parts. It wouldn't stop me. It's got no arbiter smarts. Thomas, Renard took the pilot by the shoulders. What happened? Thomas licked his lips, looking anxious. They, they brought us here, to Anders' bunch. Won the fight they called a shake-up. Took Trinket Ring and chased away Vanilla Rose. The pilot's eyes grew wide. Br brought us here in a ship with no hull. Nothing, nothing, space all around. Maybe it looked as you say, suggested Renard, but we could breathe, couldn't we? It must have been some sort of simulation. I think you're smart, Thomas snapped, and just as suddenly began to cry and clutch at Renard. I don't like Gilax, I want to go home. Renard did not need Lurl to diagnose encroaching spacers syndrome. He put an arm around the weeping pilot, despite strong personal disinclination. What happened to Anne? asked Renard. Anne, Thomas snorted. She was drooling all over your fancy liege monotum. Beauty, she called him. Guy sounded as if he was still in diapers. They took off together, heading home. Liege monotum, Renard asked, but he's here on Gillian, to Ander... A couple of Peridar's people interrupted to take charge of Thomas and marched him off. Renard stood. The woman's servant appeared from the shadows and bowed, which disconcerted him as much as Thomas being forcibly removed. The boy he assumed to be her son fell in beside them, carrying a lantern filled with glowing white globby stuff. When they reached the door of Renard's room, the boy grew bold enough to touch Renard's brown hand and then dashed away, as if afraid his curiosity might cause him harm. The incident brought home to Renard just how alien he was to the Gilax. The room he was left in had a bed and other furniture, including a writing desk and sword rack, each piece made with beautifully carved wood that was now old and cracking. The ceiling was sculpted to resemble glowing clouds. The door banged open almost immediately, and Ander barged in, brandishing a book. Renard was familiar with books, but this one was bound in soft leather, which seemed macabre. On Ryer, animals enjoyed a sliding scale of rights based on their emotional intelligence, which precluded the use of most mammals for frivolous purposes. Renard nearly dropped the book in disgust. Amaron, de Ander said, stabbing a finger at the book in Renard's hands and left with a bang that challenged the structural integrity of the walls. Renard opened the book with care in case it might prove fragile and encountered the slight resistance of old binding. Words leaped off the page at him. It was written in English, in a dialect he was able to understand. He closed the cover, faint with joy, sat down at the writing desk and opened it again with reverence. An inscription on the front page read, 
the Amaran biography being an account written on the planet Monitum 20 years after Amaran's loss by pure-blood Sila Lorvrel may hope sustain us until Amaran is reborn. Copy 12 of 101 commissioned by the Liege of Monitum, 69 spans of Earth's sacred year after the Amaric Treaty with the Rishans and 58 Earth years following the loss of Amaran. Keep this book in token of your spiritual vassalage to Amaran's soul. But if your heart cannot rejoice in his realm, or your own is hard, this book will be redeemed by House Monitum for its weight in uncut Klinaman. This we contract by the blood of Sertat, 101st Liege of Monitum, daughter of Sila by gift of Red Hearth, Liege of Green Hearth, and all the habitats and knowledge of the Monitee's oath. The words Rel and Klinaman were anglicized Gilak. Renard knew Klinaman was a drug. It also functioned as a currency to judge by Sertat's offer to redeem the book. Rel was a pervasive Gilak concept, often encountered as the opposite of Paul. Its use here in the sense of life's burdens or calling intrigued the anthropologist in Renard. Beneath Sertat's pledge was a plastic square reminiscent of a slide prepared for an optical microscope. There was so much to learn all at once, but the first time Renard closed his eyes to rest, he drifted off. And I'm going to stop there tonight. That is the first part of Renard's introduction to Galien. See you next time on Reality Skimming doing these twice a week now.